Hi, everybody. Producer Matt Belknap here with some bad news. Greg's recent show in Brooklyn at the Bell House was uh, only partly recorded. We had uh, some technical difficulties and uh, only 18 minutes of the show uh, actually ended up being recorded. So that is what you are about to hear, the first 18 or so minutes of the live show at the Bell House, followed by some in-home proof casting from Greg. I hope you enjoy that. And again, sorry for the technical troubles. Smartest man in the world, Poopcast, takes to the ether here from the most delightful of all of the boroughs, Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's most exciting venue, the Bell House. Here in the irradiated canal, trapped dolphin district of Brooklyn, go anus. Uh, we often record in West Hollywood, California, which is definitely a go anus neighborhood, and this one is too. Welcome one and all to the show. If you're listening out there in Proofcast land, this is an awesome time to knock one back. If you're driving, reach for that flask you have under the seat. If you're at the gym, edibles. Because they get into your bloodstream super fast when you're lifting weights and you're on the treadmill. And if you're just laying at home and bad, if you're in your blanket fort and you're 12 under the covers, this is the time to let your parents know no way by hanging out that do not disturb sign that you painted yourself on the edge of your door. Uh... Someone just gave me a lovely kitten's gift here. Thank you for all the gifts everyone has given me here and everywhere we go along the road. I was opening it up as the show commenced, and I was, of course, afraid that it was going to be a bunch of fucking drugs. And uh, (laughs) not so much that I'm embarrassed to have drugs on stage, for goodness sakes. Uh, I'd I'd do one right now if I could. The point is this. um, There's not enough to share with all y'all. And uh, uh, unlike Jesus, I'm not allowed to turn uh, a quarter ounce of weed, as Jesus did. into weed for the multitudes. And so saith the Lord that the dank that is given to me shall be given back to you in plentitude and multifold and so that all may experience the pink and perfect world that we ascend to once we inhale the magic dust that allows us to once again be in touch with our spiritual side and let the kittens roll so freely through the vodka-flavored stream that is the pussy that is kittens. couple of quotes before we go. You've heard them before on the show, but they're some of my favorites. Brendan Behan, the amazing Irish alcoholic and uh, poet, said, an author's first duty is to let down his country. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, here's one that I love more than anything else um, uh, by Samuel Beckett, the uh, immortal playwright who condensed everything. He was the absolute opposite of what a proof cast could be. First of all, he was a genius. Second of all, he was James Joyce's personal secretary, which is something I can't claim anything near to. Uh, I, I tutored once. Uh, and I bought weed from all the kids. It was a place called... Uh, it was a place called Challenge to Learning. And have I told this before? The, uh, when I was... Uh, uh, I was probably about 19 or 20 and I was uh, attending San Francisco Snake in a uh, university in San Francisco. And uh, I, I was living with my buddy Brian Lemon and... Uh, I got a job nearby on this place, out in the, what we call the avenues in San Francisco here. Avenues much different here. See, an avenue in New York, there's wildlife. And when I mean wildlife, there's like roaming uh, rodents the size of cocker spaniels and shit like that. Uh, out in front, right in front, out in front of the bell house, uh, I was uh, smoking a joint with one of the uh, uh, customers here tonight, or revenue flow, as I like to call you. And... <laughs> 
Not only was there a squashed what appeared to be a fresca can, and I don't even know if they make fresca anymore. There was also what appeared to be, um, how do I put this delicately, an expended French envelope. Here, let me put it even more graphically so that you understand. A prophylactic that had already seen action. In other words, a rubber was laying there right in front of the steps, and, and she went, should we touch that? And I'm like, mm, 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 mm. Don't touch anything in New York. Bathe yourself in hand sanitizer and wear a hazmat suit wherever you go. And when you're in a taxi cab, put a little napkin down with a doily on it like I do. Before you sit down. And then before you touch the handles of the taxi cab or anything like that, before you even touch the money in your pocket, uh, pray. A little incantation. I don't Cthulhu, I don't, you know, like a... Yeah, you know, an H.P. Lovecraft can, incantation. A, a sloppily wet salamander sound precedes uh, some sort of bizarre incantation that you read off a mystic ruin that's on an obsidian stone that can barely be discerned. Uh, Samuel Beckett uh, was concise and boiled down his plays. <laughs> Prodigious and prolific, garrulous and loquacious, not something you would characterize Samuel Beckett as. One play boiled down to, of course, Crap's Last Tape, a, a fellow sitting in a room recording by himself, much like we're doing tonight, uh, except he didn't have an audience in front of him, but it was the same kind of uh, unbelievable self-introspective uh, navel-gazing bullshit that we'll be attending to. And also another play where it was simply the mouth of the actress in a spotlight buried up to her head in dirt. So you can see how he boiled theater down to its very essence, where I'm trying to do exactly the opposite here by taking what is a, uh, really a one-man radio show and turning it into some sort of fruity phantasmagorical. <laughs> <laughs> magic, magic feline chariot ride into the hinter regions of your imagination. And uh, hopefully the people in Uganda will be enjoying this because they are, they are at the source of the Nile and we're at the end of what can only be described as a canal that no one should go in, whether they're... <laughs> Whether they're a cetacean or a human, the water from that canal will burn a hole through your skin like the alien's blood. Yeah, you'll be standing there uh, uh, like Veronica Cartwright going, Dallas, Dallas! No one saw the movie Alien. All right. Only me. You are old, Father William, yet you stand upon your head. Samuel Beckett said, ever tried, ever failed. No matter. Try again, fail again. Fail better. Uh, and then Oscar Wilde said something that in the light of uh, uh, Katy Perry and well not just Katy Perry I don't want to hammer on her but I'm often saying that I don't like the music of today I think the music of today is fabulous but you can't find it on the radio or on television right you have to go on the internet and find it from your friends who are making awesome music and download it on your own this is the best part of how show business has dissolved into what it once was when I first moved to Los Angeles in 1946 um <laughs> I had a contract with RKO. I was to make a series of Kittens the Talking McTavish movies, and what happened was this. Kittens and I were in... There was Kittens and Joins the Air Force. That was awesome. Uh, there's Kittens on the Waves. Uh, that was a really good one. Kittens in the Box. I, I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, there was vodka-flavored kittens. Uh, that was banned, uh, except in Mexico. And... Uh, when I first came to Hollywood, there was a thing called show business. And uh, what would happen is, yeah, thank you. One woman gave a very derisive, hilarious, plaintive laugh and went, ha, ha, ha. She may have been the girl from the Operation ad, if anyone remembers that from the 60s and 70s. T remove funny bone. Ha, ha, ha. Take out wrenched ankle. The guy's nose would light up. 
And what you would do is you would audition for things and you would go into meetings and you would have a, a meeting. You'd bring in your idea and there'd be a room full of people named Josh who were scowling at you and uh, <laughs> they would all stare at you and judge you and shit like that. And, uh, uh, and then sometimes you'd get money. You'd end up on a TV show or you'd sell something and that's what show business was like. Now we're in the post-apocalyptic age where our phone provides all of our entertainment and we don't need television or movies really much anymore unless you want to see Iron Man 15 and uh, Hangover 40. Uh, I'm sure Hangover 40 is as original as Hangover 16 was. And uh, uh, so because of that, uh, show business has devolved into a, a rare scrambling. Uh, the men, and, and I, when I say the men, I mean the men who make all the decisions about what happens in show business and the women who act like the men who make all the decisions in show business uh, have to ask their children what they should do now. They go home to their 14-year-old and go, what's fucking cool? We're, we're thinking about putting this show on TV. It's about two people and they live in a house. Is that cool? And the teenager goes, what? <laughs> Whatevs. And that's how the decisions get made. And that's why TV seems so rich and fertile when you flip through the channels. In between Duck Dynasty and Hillbilly Hand Fishing, we're really spoiled for fucking choice, aren't we? If you had told me 20 years ago that Storage Wars was going to be a show... <laughs> And not punishment that you made people who'd committed a horrible sexual crime watch over and over again until they recanted the evilness of their ways. If, if you had told me that toothless giant people were going to dominate the airwaves because they would work for virtually nothing. I'm not putting down the lower class in any way. I think we've empowered the lower class to take over the fucking networks. When I first came to L.A., NBC had, like, you know, Frasier and uh, Cheers and Seinfeld and ER and shit like that. Now it's, like, America's fattest dachshunds and whatnot. And <laughs> who's got Ebola, you know? <laughs> so that's what makes this awesome. This, this is now show business, uh, except to everyone over 40 that runs a, a, a television network. They've heard of Mark Maron, and good for him. And well done, Mark Maron, for his new TV show and his book. And Chris Hardwick. You can see that, uh, as Ray Manzarek and uh, Jim Morrison once suggested, we are breaking on through to the other side. Um, I, of course, will always resist because of uh, the fact that I'm unemployable in a television sense, I think, at this point in my career. So I'm yours until further notice, hooray. And, uh, yeah, uh, getting over here tonight, a bit, of a, a bit of a hassle. Not just the weather here, which, by the way, in New York, if you're in other parts of the country, I realize the weather's been extraordinarily extreme. What we now call, because we're in an illiterate age where nothing can have enough hyperbole in front of it, uh, once upon a time there was things called tornadoes and storms. Now they're super storms. <laughs> Because they're more awesome than the storms we had 20 years ago. Those were just weenie little storms that could barely knock over a whole trailer park. Now we have super storms. Uh, and Coney Island opened again, and uh, they've. Uh, uh, that's, I know, right? Very exciting. Uh, and, and like that. Uh, now Gary Lewis can once again sing Palisades Park without a tear in his eye. <laughs> Gary Lewis was a group from the 60s. <laughs> See, groups, yeah, thank you. Groups now, you know, groups now are what, like, you know, Savage Bleen and uh, uh, The Cabbage Yard. You know, whatever. That's, you, you know, when you turn on alternative radio, that was Boom Machine with Clang. In the 60s, Palisades Park, and this will give you an idea how 60s they were, as uh, someone just enjoined. Uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. 
And they did uh, uh, Palisades Park. They had other hits. What was the other one? Uh, Don't you know that she's just my style? They weren't good. But the point is this. (laughs) Jerry Lewis was Jerry Lewis's son. And it fucked Jerry Lewis off so hard that his son had a successful recording career. Jerry Lewis would do variety shows and bring Gary Lewis on and be like, Gary, you know, and Gary would be like, thanks, Dad, and shit. And then they'd go on and like go, down at Palisades Park. The Palisades Park had a carnival organ in it, which uh, I, more's the pity that there's not more songs with carnival organs. We won't be having them tonight. Mm. In any case, getting over here tonight from uh, the weather has been, uh, how do I put this? Uh, Unseasonably and mortally fucked. I got here three days ago. It was 95 degrees with a Cambodian killing field humidity. I don't know if you know who Richard Burton and John Henning speak were, but they, uh, they discovered the source of the Nile once upon a time in a country called Uganda. And um, uh, that was the kind of weather it was. Swampy, hot, uh, dudes are walking down the street going, fuck, my eyes are sweating and shit. And then, uh, yes, two days ago, it turned into kind of a breezy, blustery, icky. And then today, Scotland. <laughs> and then in Drake and Hammer to you, and Hammer to you, and Hammer to you. down the Goenis and stand on the street, and the window right up, and it got hot in it. Dreaky is the word when there's kind of a steady, hideous, pizzling, jizzling, snazzling, skizzling rain that never gets off the fucking rain ground. It can't precipitate because it hasn't precipitated enough to precipitate. There's not enough condensation for it to precipitate. And so it just goes all over you. And the worst part of that is I'll be walking down the street with my wife and one drop will hit my mouth and I'll be like, oh, what hideous irradiated cetacean floating through the sky on their way to the heavens did this bounce off of and then land in my mouth so that I can have some weird cancer cluster around bicuspid four. There's nothing you can do. I realize that. I can complain about New York and, and, the, and the filth here as long as I like, but there's no way the whole city's going to get steam clean between the time I... <laughs> The time I leave and the time I come again. But really, if there was a Clorox tornado that hit this town, it really wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened. I mean, because down in the subway, I'm wait, you know, last time I was here, we took the subway to Brooklyn, and all I hear is... And I look behind me, and there's a rat with tusks. And you're like, come on. Rats don't have tusks. And they're like, yeah, they've been interbreeding with the fucking javelinas that are caught down there that someone set free when they bought a javelina from the buy of the javelina and the mail thing in the back of a comic book or whatever. Wouldn't you like to own a peccary? Now you can have one mailed to your own home. So there's rats with tusks. There's rats that appear to have mated with tapers because they're quite large. And as I've stated on the show earlier, tapers go... They make an insane noise. They make a whistling noise. Can I have another, if anyone, can we form a human chain to the bar? And can I have a vodka-flavored vodka drink? This time in a, in a glass glass, I, I, I adore, oh, oh no, they don't have glass glasses here, do they? Well, uh, in a plastic glass, then any, uh, Jesus Christ, I don't give a shit. Put it, uh, hey man, I'm out, of, I'm out of balloons. Do you mind a baggie? No, that's cool. You mind if I do it here? Mi casa es su casa. Hey. 
Hello, everybody. This is your old pal, Greg Proops, broadcasting live from the Fortress of Proopitude. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether, this time from the uh, salubrious confines of my own, uh, well, how do I put it? This is where I wait for the apocalypse to happen, right here in Los Angeles. I can't disclose the location to you, but let's just say that it's somewhere between Bar Lubitsch and the center of my heart. Um, The New York show, as you just heard, concluded rather briskly and abruptly. Um, This was a technical problem. No one can be blamed for it. I would like to blame uh, Fortuna, the goddess of fortune, for letting me down in this regard. I failed to make an animal sacrifice before the show in New York, and I'm almost certain that's the reason that the tech failed. There's a thing inside the Zoom recorder that we use called a memory stick, and you may remember James Brown said, Mama, come here quick and give me that memory stick. And I believe it was the Rolling Stones who once said, uh, memories don't mean that much to me. Well, if it wasn't them, it should have been them because they probably can't remember. In any case, uh, next time before I perform live, which will be coming up soon, I'm going to sacrifice a series of small animals. And before you start writing me and freaking out and crying and stuff, I'm joking, of course. <laughs> they're not animals. Uh, I mean, when they're dead, they're pork. And, you know, we give them different names when they're dead. Um, no, I won't, I won't sacrifice an animal, but I will uh, make a burnt offering if you follow my drift to its logical conclusion. And I think you will if you live on the corner of my neighborhood where the Green Cross is located. Uh, in any case, uh, this is going to be the addendum to the New York uh, Proopcast, and here we go. Oh, before we get started, I've forgotten my papers already, but aren't you in the Fortress of Proopitude? Shouldn't you be surrounded by all the effluvium and flotsam and jetsam and all, all, all the volumes and ledgers and, and, and epistolaries that you carry around with you all the time uh, in your old-fashioned way, Greg? Surely you're sitting in the middle of what could only be described as the library of Proopisandria with tubes and, 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 and documents and, and statements all around you. I am, but I have to walk over here. Hang on a second while I walk over to this side of the fortress. Because what I wanted to do was people send questions in uh, to com, and I have not answered them in about, um, I don't know, a year. a year, really? Has it been that long? Ryan is here with me. Uh, Ryan is, of course, seated behind bulletproof glass on the other side of a 367-degree uh, circular uh, uh, enclave that we're in here. Isn't that seven more degrees than you need? Yeah, think about it. The government's taken degrees from us degree by degree, so I think we need to get a few back. Uh, here we go. Let's see. Uh, these are Proopcast questions from, oh, golly. Uh, well, I, I have so many, but let's just start, jump right in. I don't read these beforehand. It's smartest at a special thing.com. Proop doggy dog wog. Proop doggy D A W W hyphen W O G G G. Proop doggy dog wog. I think it's I think it's supposed to be read like this. Proop doggy dog like that. Which accent do you think is the best to swear in? Dougie. Dougie asks, which accent do you think is the best to swear in? I think a hilarious comedy one. Um, like pretend you're Sid Caesar from the 50s or um, uh, Ken Mars, who was in all those movies like Young Frankenstein and played the, uh, the German uh, uh, policeman in Young Frankenstein. He also plays the sheriff in Butch Cassidy. He also plays uh, the Italian um, uh, art critic in uh, uh, What's Up, Doc. You'll remember Ken Morris from all those movies. In The Producer, he plays the insane Nazi. 
So he always used a funny accent in every role he did. Like as Hans, it was, what is it? Oh, Broadway. Oh, joy of joys. And then in Young Frankenstein, it's been a long time since we've had a Frankenstein in the house. I think a hilarious comedy accent is the best one. You're probably trying to get me to say Spanish or something. But if you think about it, Desi Arnaz did all the best swearing on TV in the 50s when he couldn't even swear. As soon as he get mad at Lucy, he called like that. So I think a comedy cartoon accent is the best one to swear in. Like if I was going to swear right now, it'd be like, Right? Little Sid Caesar. Thank you, Dougie, for that question. And thank you. I assume because you spell your name D-O-U-G-I-A um, that you're down. Uh, William asks, Dear Mr. Proops. Thank you, William. I don't know your last name. Dear Mr. William, who was the greatest American president? Uh, comma. Well, we can stop right there if you like. Uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, I haven't got to the end of the question yet, but I'm, I'm going to answer it in parts. <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in my opinion, did uh, quite a lot for this country. And I think Lyndon Baines Johnson was the greatest president as far as civil rights and recognizing that there was an inequity between the rich and the poor. Um, I think James Earl Carter was maybe the most morally present of all the presidents. Presidents. Uh, uh, sometimes I call them presents because they seem like a gift to us from white people land. Um, you know, when you think about the 44 August white guys and then the one August half white guy that have been president, all of whom went to Ivy League schools, none of whom were Jewish, only one was Catholic. This, it's the, the disparity in their points of view, I think, that really cumulatively knock you right between the eyes. Everybody from privileged landowners to people who became privileged landowners have been president of this great country of, that we call uh, America. So the greatest American president, Lincoln, uh, is an interesting choice. Uh, I adore Abraham Lincoln because I think he was the funniest president. I think him and Clinton hold down the fort as far as jokes go. Um, Lincoln was genuinely funny. And he also uh, understood um, about being a poor person, having been one. Now, having said that, uh, and he was raised quite poor, he was a corporate lawyer before he was a congressman. So, uh, you know, get on that train, Obama, and every other goddamn lawyer that was ever president. The, 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 the thing about Lincoln is to start a civil war that kills uh, a couple of million Americans and then to suspend the writ of habeas corpus is kind of a heinous crime against humanity, if you want to look at it that way. On the other hand, he did sign the Emancipation Proclamation, which was wildly unpopular. Uh, and, and was about, what, uh, 200 years overdue when he signed it. So at least he had the temerity and the balls to do that. So I'm going to say uh, Johnson for civil rights, FDR uh, for, for uh, wisdom and leadership, and, uh, and, and Abraham Lincoln. Now, of course, the caveat against all three is that they all conducted enormously horrible illegal wars where zillions of peoples died. But you know what? When you're president, hey, you got to take the good with the bad. Like Obama said last week when he was giving his predator drone speech and he got interrupted by Medea Benjamin. Uh, I don't disagree with everything this lady says. At least he actually gave us an inkling that he can't sleep every night. Uh, that was the difference I placed between him and Bush. And when I say Bush, I mean W. And when I say W, I mean John Quincy fucking Bush Adams. Uh, I think uh, he was uh, given the position of president. And I think he hadn't any idea when he got into it what the fuck was going to happen. And with all the horribleness that happened during the Bush, the W presidency, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Katrina, the economy collapsing, um, the... the um, the, the gulf between rich and poor being widened to a, a, a level that I don't think we may never recover from in this country. Uh, I think he slept soundly every night. I think he went to bed early. 
And my anecdotal stories that I've heard of people who worked near him or in the administration uh, often say that he would go, all right, we're done at like nine o'clock. And they'd be go like, President, we're, Mr. President, we're, we have a lot of issues here. And he'd be like, going to bed, got to get up and work out in the morning. And that was the kind of, if you'll pardon the expression, moron, I think he was. Uh, and when I say moron, I don't mean just stupidity. Obviously, he wasn't the brightest kitten that ever walked out of the kitten farm. Uh, I, I think his moral illumination was dulled somewhat by privilege. I don't think empathy was the greatest uh, aspect of his um, personality. I, in other words, I think Clinton, for all his mendaciousness and for all his triangulating and for how clever a boots Clinton is, uh, I think he'll never, ever, ever get over that he didn't do anything about Rwanda. I think he, he wakes him in the middle of the night sweating and that he spent a zillion years uh, procrastinating before we intervened in the Balkans uh, because there was some serious genocide going on in the 90s. And uh, what it carries on now. Hey, why let the good times stop? Um, but I think, I think him and Johnson, who actually said after he was president that he, could, he regretted Vietnam so much and that he wished he hadn't done it. Uh, it doesn't make it better. I also think FDR uh, probably spent many a sleepless night. Obviously, Lincoln did and Carter did. Look at Obama's hair color. That'll tell you how much he's slept. The fact that his hair color changed and that he looks so much older. Uh, you've seen that picture of Lincoln before the war and the picture of Lincoln after the war. Carter before his administration starts after. It's like they age 30 years. And I think that's complete lack of sleep. I hope. Uh, judge, so here's the rest of the question. Judge solely by their actions after the presidency. Oh, well, uh, that's reasonably easy. I think John Quincy Adams, who I mentioned earlier, went back to the Congress and, and fought for abolition in this country. And I think that's an extraordinary thing for a president to do. I can't think of any others who do this. Uh, w and Reagan, obviously, are the most unbelievable, useless post-presidency presidents. Reagan didn't do anything. But again, I don't think he was compass menace uh, after his presidency. W, are you fucking joking me? A five, what is it, fifty billion, fifty million dollar library honoring him? When you're supposed to go through and see if you can, there's a whole section apparently where you go through and have to make the moral decisions he had to make, and then oh, see how hard it was, you know, like oh, bite me. Um, I think um, it's easy to say right now. The modern ones, it's um, it's Clinton and Carter. Carter's gone around the world. He's fought for human rights. He, he's built homes everywhere. He's monitored elections. Uh, basically, he's been an ambassador at large. Let's put it this way. He won a Nobel Peace Prize after he was president, and he brokered a peace between Egypt and Israel while he was president. So I would say Carter. Uh, second to that, I'd say Clinton, because Clinton has a giant charitable foundation. He's gone around the world. Uh, when the tsunami hit that W ignored for four days, uh, he went there immediately with uh, Bush's, uh, with W's father. So I, I'd have, I think you'd have to say those two. Obviously, Kennedy didn't get a chance. FDR didn't get a chance. I mean, we're kind of limited on this one because we're talking about in the last 150 years, we've had four assassinated, uh, a couple Reagan, you know, Reagan wasn't that together afterward. Nixon was in exile, so there was nothing he could do. Uh, Ford, Ford was Ford, you know, he wasn't a bad guy. He played some golf. Harding died. Coolidge didn't live that long. And Hoover was a scholar. And, and I think knew that he fucked the country financially. So I'm going to go with, uh, if, I, if that answers your question. And thank you, William. Uh, Mike asks, omniprescient, omniprescient proofs. Yes, I'm omniprescient. I'm already inside you and I've already thought about you and forgot about you. This is part of your ongoing graduation. Why, Mike asks, uh, why do you podcast? 
I'm sure I sure I'd sure I'd sure love to hear what you get out of the work. That's not really a question, Mike. That's a value judgment you're making about what you presuppose my answer is going to be like, that it's going to contain enjoyment for you. Uh, I've, I've talked about this before. I podcast for many reasons. I podcast for the those who are in prison and for the poor. I podcast for those who once could fly and now can't. I podcast for those who used to play the viola and now they find their fingers bent. Um, I podcast for the children in the street, the scruffy face ones. Mr. Could you have a dime? The ones who have funny accents, even though they live here. Uh, I podcast because I want to make a direct connection to the audience. I feel like it's talking on the phone. I've probably gone over this before with you guys a million times, but uh, I've never done anything that's affected me as profoundly uh, as a, uh, a unbelievably gifted comedic artist uh, than this. I think that more than stand-up, more than uh, whose line is it anyway, if you can believe that, uh, more than doing improv, more than everything I've done as a comic. I've done, I've hosted game shows and I've uh, hosted chat shows. And I've danced and I've sang all over the world. Nothing has meant more to me than this. That's why I do it. The reason why I come up to you guys before the show and talk to everybody uh, and, and, and shake hands with everybody is because this, this means more to me than anything I've ever done. I would never do it at a stand-up show. It rubs the magic off. If you meet the comic before the show, it's, he's just another person. Or she, whomever. It's just another person. Uh, at the podcast, I feel like it's an integral part of the show. Us meeting... And getting to talk to people before and after the show. And uh, I've received so much generosity. I'm wearing a gift that I got now uh, from a fabulous um, woman named... Uh, let's see if I can find her name. Uh, if I can find her name, I'll get back on the mic. Uh, oh, a woman in uh, at the New York show gave me a really lovely piece of jewelry. Um... I can't find her name. She gave me her business card and I've got it in a stack of cards here. See, Greg, if you had everything on your phone, you'd be able to find it because it would automatically be in your phone and the phone would make your life better and it would dictate how everything you ever did was great. Um, cock. I can't find it. I can't believe it. I can't find it. Well, I, I Facebooked her. Anyway, I think it was Sky something. I'm so, I'm so terrible. And I apologize to you, my darling. You were so generous. She gave me a dog tag and it says, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. And on the back, it says Satchel Page. And I am wearing it right now. I want you to know that. Skylar? Oh, cock. Never mind. Uh, in any case, you know who you are who gave it to me. And I thank you for that. She also gave my wife a lovely necklace. Thank you for that as well. I went on your uh, website and your jewelry is most beautiful. It would be even more beautiful, Greg, if you could remember my fucking name and tell everyone on the show. And it would seem a little more like that connection you were talking about, how important it was for you to be one-on-one -on -one and come and shake our hands and stuff. I shook your hand at the show. God damn it. I just can't. I'm going to find it. One day. Tamarack Sellers. No, those, those are wine cards. Laugh or sight. No, he was a blind guy. He, a very nice one. These are business cards from England. What the cock? It was on top the other day. No, that's the person I'm doing. Why do I have a joie de vivre? Oh, because I stayed at a hotel. This is an exciting look at the business cards I have in a big stack on my desk. I took them out of my wallet finally. But, uh, oh, that's another winery. Why do you have so many wine cards? Just back off. Oh, look at that. Here you are. I knew I'd find you. I want to thank Sky Cool Tune. And that's S-K-Y-K-O-L-T-U-N. And she's at www.skycoltoon.etsy.com. And on her business card, it says, wherever you go, 
go with all your heart, Confucius. And she describes herself as a silversmith, alchemist, and artisan jeweler. Well, alchemy is one of my favorite arts, as you know. Um, like Cornelius Agrippa, I have a black dog that follows me around. And I spend a good deal of my day trying to turn base metals into precious things. Um, I have bottle caps all over the house that I'm always trying to turn into gold or latinum, if you're a Ferengi. Here, look at that card, Ryan. Isn't that neat? And horribly, uh, she's used, yeah, she's used a, uh, or, or creatively rather, she's used a, a, a human heart as her logo. And uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a, how do we describe it? Like a, an 18th century engraving of a heart with all the valves and everything marked on it. In any case, her name is Sky. I love it. I'm wearing it right now. Uh, a young lady gave me a book that is uh, coming to play here. Uh, let's see what, if she wrote a dedication on it called What Might Have Been Lost. Oh, yes, yeah, she did. Can you read her name? What is her name, Ryan? Her handwriting's a little difficult to... She's like, it's like she's a physician. Cheryl? Cheryl? Okay, well, Cheryl, thank you for the book, What Might Have Been Lost. We're using it right now. Maybe not in the way that you intended us to use it, but it's becoming very useful. Um, all the people that have given me all the books and all the dope, and uh, someone gave me a blunt in Washington that was off the hook. That's all I have to say about that. It was tasty. And I didn't think I liked blunts that much. Uh, that's why I do it, Mike. Uh, because Oh, and look at that. That was a girl in Bellevue who made me a coffee mug uh, a Kitten's McTavish coffee mug that says, tastes like, and then there's a logo of an orange cat. That A woman actually made that. Isn't that cute? I know. And then, of course, all the people who help us with all of our graphics and everything like that. Uh, it's just been an experience. Uh, ever since Ryan and Matt cornered me outside the uh, UCB theater here uh, several years ago and asked me to do it, it's changed everything that I've ever thought about comedy. It's changed how I approach comedy. It's changed how I feel about going on the road. It's changed the mode in which I work. Um, and I, I know that that doesn't seem like why I would do it, but it is because uh, I like this way more. I've never had this much fun in 30 years of comedy as I have doing the podcast. I never, ever dread doing it. I never, ever think, oh, fuck, I don't want to get up there and do it. Stand-up, I do. Still, sometimes you'll be like, it'll be a Friday night late and the crowd's real drunk and you're in some shithole and you think, oh, God, I got to get up. And last night I was at the Improv here in Hollywood and uh, it, was a, it was a young crowd. There was a lot of baseball caps. And the guy in front of me got up and did half an hour on masturbating. And then I followed him and I'm trying to work on a new set for a video I'm going to shoot. <laughs> and I'm trying to do some, you know, like personal shit. And this guy's talking about... What if it was like West Side Story of masturbating and gangs were coming at each other holding their cocks? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And even the kids in the crowd were kind of like, okay. And I mean, two years ago, I remember I was in San Francisco at Sketchfest and uh, we were doing stand-up in this. I was doing a podcast as well, but I was doing stand-up in this horrible room that was glass that should never have stand-up on it. They put a little riser up and a crappy mic and you couldn't. It, it's like hearing stand-up like this. That's, that was the audio quality. And the guy ahead of me took his shirt off and like humped a chair for like half an hour. And I was furious. I mean, I was furious. It's like, I'm a, I'm a sensitive artist and I no, no, have some, have an act. If you're going to go in front of me at a club, have a fucking act. And to the 20 something guys and 30 something guys that are stand up comics, stop talking about pornography and jacking off. Okay. Stop it. Uh, isn't it funny? Yeah. If you can do it brilliantly. 
Uh, Robert Schimmel was a great comedian who talked about sex all the time. Uh, Bobby Slayton is a great comedian who can do it. There are uh, lots of comedians who can talk about sex in a very humorous way. You're not one of them. What it gives me is insight into what you're spending your time doing all day. Because I think we talk about our lives and our condition. Um, when you're a craftsperson, which was what comics are, everything has to come out of your personal experience. And if you're masturbating all day, then that's what you're going to talk about on stage. And let me hip you to something, dudes. Women don't masturbate all day looking at the internet. So you're losing half the crowd by even broaching that subject. They know you're doing it and they're not that thrilled about it. Okay. Um, so in any case, that's why I podcast to give unwanted advice to stand up comedians who probably think they're very funny. Uh, that's about enough of these questions. We got through three. I've got a couple pages here. And uh, so thank you for those. It's smartestdeathespecialthing.com. I'm not answering my email very well right at the moment. I am so bloody far behind because I'm busy. Fanmail for Greg at gmail.com. I do try to answer it. Um, I, we've done a Dog Day Afternoon, a podcast the other night. It went quite well at the Cine Family. It was a great showing. People got up and applauded at the end of the movie. And I'd like to thank Aaron out there in fan mail for Greg uh, at gmail.com land for hooking me up with his uncle, Chris Sarandon, who does a tremendous turn in that movie. And I emailed Chris Sarandon and Chris Sarandon sent me back a bunch of answers uh, to my questions about his participation in the fabulous movie, Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet, written by Frank Pearson, starring Al Pacino and John Cazale. And uh, Chris Sarandon uh, plays a, uh, a man who's about to undergo a sex change operation who's Al Pacino's wife uh, in the movie. And uh, he was unbelievably generous with his time. And uh, I just want to thank Chris Sarandon for that and for Aaron for you for hooking me up. This is what happens on the email. Like I say, um, like in the song, uh, uh, in, in the show Pippin, everything has a reason. Everything has a rhyme. Or is it everything has a season, everything has a time? Show me your reason and I'll show you a rhyme. Rivers must go where they can ramble. Uh, and I think that because I've been doing this for two years now, and some, that's why people are connecting with me and emailing me stuff and I'm getting to email Chris Sarandon, which makes me happier than you could possibly imagine. Coming up, we'll be at the uh, Cine Family again showing the uh, Hitchcock's Immortal World War II classic Lifeboat with uh, the unforgettable Tulula Bankhead in the lead. They're in a boat for two hours. It's really good. Um, as I said at my last show, but how could you be in a boat for two hours? Cause Hitchcock's a clever filmmaker. He could have made a movie called desk and you would be riveted by every moment. Don't open the drawer. Uh, we'll be in London at the Soho theater on the 18th to the 23rd doing podcasts on the 18th and the 23rd Amsterdam at the Dines theater on the 27th of June on the 29th of June laughter in Norway. Uh, the 3rd of uh, July, Lubitsch, uh, Bar Lubitsch here in Western Hollywood. And uh, on the 9th of July, back at Bar Lubitsch again to give it a go. Uh, on the 18th of July, we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco. The 25th of July, we'll be at Galway at the Galway Comedy Festival. And then I'll be doing improv with the boys, uh, the other Who's Line group, uh, the other White Meat, as I like to call them. So, uh, on July 31st to um, August 15th, we'll be in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Festival at the Gilded Balloon. The 3rd, the 10th, and the 15th will be podcasts. They'll be short ones because they only give me an hour. Uh, then we'll be in New Orleans. Um, I'm settling the date with the dude, but we're going to be there in September sometime. 
uh, on the 11th of September will be in Denver. Remember, you can go on gregproofs.com and buy a power sheath. Uh, they attract those that you want. They repel those that you don't want. A couple of quickies and then uh, we're going to go. Let's see. This is from Feministing and this got left out of the New York program because it got uh, the gods decided that that show was not to happen. Um, there's a new documentary about homeless women veterans. And uh, as you know, what's been going on in the service with the sexual assault is an unbelievable shame of the nation and a scandal. Uh, this is the boring preachy part, by the way, in case you want. This might be the time you win a, I don't know, open a book or start listening to another podcast, maybe Dana Gould or something funny. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to mention the boring preacher part was coming. I'm eager to watch this new documentary about homeless women veterans trying to open the first transitional house for female vets in Connecticut. It's called War Zone Comfort Zone, created by filmmaker Lizzie Warren with Connecticut Public Television. And it's airing on PBS stations. Uh, by tomorrow, you'll be able to watch it online. There's a trailer here. So if you go on Feministing and look up uh, War Zone Comfort Zone, you'll be able to watch it. And this is what I wanted to read you about women veterans uh, who not only endure an amazing amount of sexual assault in the service and um, can't even report it to their superiors. And this is what's going on with these congressional hearings. You've been seeing them on TV. You've seen Kristen Gillibrand. You've seen, excuse me, the brave women uh, grilling these military types. The women in the service, when they're sexually assaulted, have to go up, up through the chain of command. So immediately, it's a non-starter and it's a loser. It's like, it's like saying to uh, crack-dealing gangsters, why don't you just go to the cops if that guy ripped you off? Uh, they're not going to help you. So they go to their superior, and their superior always finds a way to shame them. And that's why out of the 30,000-some-odd assaults uh, that were reported, by the way, uh, what, 300 got tried and 100 people got punished? Out of that many. I mean, that's just sick. As women are increasingly joining the ranks of the military and their numbers are sure to only increase as more positions open up to them. Um, by the way, there's another reason why women are joining the military, not just the equality in the military and the fact that women are going to be in combat uh, illegally soon. As I pointed out, I think you'll find women have been in combat since time began. The reason why wars are fought is to kill the innocents. Uh, I think Helen of Troy, nay, Helen of Sparta, before she was kidnapped and purportedly taken uh, by the Trojans, uh, that was a war fought over women. Uh, women are always combatants. Um, is the economy so awful? And, and I think that the underclass has to join the service to get three squares and some healthcare, quite frankly. Their numbers are only sure to increase as more positions open up to them. Female veterans are becoming the fastest growing homeless population in the United States. So we just had Memorial Day and we're all supposed to support the troops, which you know I do. Uh, the, the troops are forced to be there. Uh, it's their job. We would do better as a nation if we would support them after they were in the service and were traumatized. There are a lot of complex reasons why former service women struggle with homelessness, job discrimination to lack of family housing options. But one of the main factors is post-traumatic stress disorder due to sexual assault. A recent study found that 53% of homeless female veterans had experienced military sexual trauma. So it goes much further than just the act on the day and the repercussions therein. When they come back home uh, and they find that they don't get health care and they can't get a gig and they have nowhere to live, um, they're mentally fucked up from having been assaulted um, by other members of the armed forces. So um, keep that in mind uh, as well. Uh, this is from a week ago, but I think it still holds. Uh, there's a panel meeting uh, to talk about a, a nationwide ban of abortions after 20 weeks gestation. Yes, we're calling it gestation as if women are elephants or tapers. Uh, women gestate with a baby uh, inside them, right? And uh, right now you're allowed to get an abortion in the third trimester. However, the men uh, of this House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution and Civil Justice have decided that it's really, really important 
um, to protect uh, unborn fetuses instead of live women yet again. Um, it's, you're not going to believe the name of this fucking bill that they're considering. They began uh, discussing it a week or two ago in the, in the, um, in the uh, subcommittee. The D.C. Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Well, I've got news for unborn children. Um, they're not paying taxes. And who's paying the rent on this raggedy motherfucker? So um, how about women that are born getting a little more protection? How about health care? How about access to fucking contraception? Everybody knows if you have access to contraception, the countries that do it, the countries that teach it, have a lower abortion rate. There. How does that, how's that for some fucking straight up just sense? Uh, the, ba- the bill sponsored by Trent Franks, Republican Arizona. What a surprise. Um, uh, right, uh, uh, Representative Franks, right now, if you, if you get a notion to, and tell him how stupid you think his bill is, who is also the chair of the subcommittee, originally would have banned abortion at 20 weeks gestation, only in the District of Columbia. That's why it's the D.C. Payne bill. Franks decided to expand the bill nationwide following the murder conviction of Kermit Gosnell. And he's the doctor who performed the illegal abortions in Pennsylvania and killed a bunch of babies. Well, as you can see, they're using this one doctor as a wedge to say that all abortions are illegal and that women shouldn't have accessibility to them and to restrict women's health care once again. Funny how when a psychopathic dude shoots a gun off, this isn't the same argument they use as when one doctor um, is crazy and kills some people. Nancy Northup, president of the Center for Reproductive Rights, said in a statement, it's no small irony Representative Franks is using the subcommittee on the Constitution to advance legislation attacking the firmly established constitutional rights of women. The firmly established constitutional rights of women. The firmly established constitutional rights of women. Um, Roe versus Wade is law. Everywhere that similarly unconstitutional laws have been challenged in the courts, including Representative Frank's home state of Arizona, just this week, they've been blocked before they could jeopardize women's health and lives. In Texas, uh, in Arizona, uh, you'll find uh, what they passed in North Dakota, uh, Oklahoma. These things get uh, revoked in court because they're too dangerous. Uh, Then women have to use uh, coat hangers and other horrible various means uh, to abort. In a scene familiar to women's rights activists, the entire panel considering the bill was made up of men. That's so revolting, I don't even know where to fucking begin. Um, you don't even, de- the idea that you wouldn't have some women on the panel, on the House Subcommittee on, what is it? Uh, on the Constitution and Civil Justice? Mm-hmm. Civil Justice for whom? Oh, swaggering seed bearers and those who have a penis. For those who bear a uterus, mm, gestate. This looks familiar. Every lawmaker in the House hearing in the nationwide 20-week abortion ban is a man. That's what Laura Bassett said on the HuffPo. The scene is reminiscent of last year's debate on contraception coverage under the Affordable Care Act when the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform did not have any witnesses from the Democrats and only consulted male witnesses. In response, Sandra Fluke testified as part of a House Democratic Steering Committee hearing led by Nancy Pelosi. Um, You guys are beautiful. I want you to know that I hope that every page that you turn is a satchel page and that every bell that you ring is a cool papa bell. My name's been Greg Proops. Thank you for listening to The Smartest Man in the World. Thank you for bearing with me during the dry, arid, studio-bound portion of our show. I bid you goodbye and nothing but love. Peace.